Chapter 1 There was once a little idea that was very, very lonely. Its owner and friend had died, and at last it had no little shell to stay in, and no little feelings to sleep on, and nothing more to grasp except one little piece of reality. So it screamed in the darkness, gathered up its little delusion and its desire, and took its reality in its hand, and went out into the world. What you just heard were the irritable vowels. Yes, you heard me correctly. You're going to hear a lot of puns on this discussion, because I have here Zach Appio, and he is a man who owns his ideas. I don't know about the one that escaped and doesn't have an owner, but his ideas are fascinating. Our readers, you might be, if you have a long memory, be familiar with Zach, because five years ago, he and his brother Frank put together a film that won prizes and was really riveting. And he's still telling stories, but in a different way. So welcome, Zach. Thank you, Melissa. It's very great to be here. I would just like to hear a little bit about your company. Tell us what it is and what it does. Well, I I do so many different things that I decided that I need to kind of put a name or sort of brand on everything I do. So I came up with the idea Odd Concept Media, which came about uh, one night when I was sitting on the couch with my amazing girlfriend, Brittany, um, and we were kind of just brainstorming different actual words, and I was just putting words on paper to try to come up with something that really fit me as an artist, and the words odd and concept came up, and I couldn't think of a better you know, description of myself is because I do so many odd things and, <laughs> and I like you have to, a lot of concepts. I like to root myself in, you know, my conceptual ideas. So yeah, so that's I kinda went with that and uh And took your off. logo is really cool. It's the letters for odd, but they're written oddly mm-hmm. as almost shadow shapes. It took me just a minute to figure it out. Yeah which with is kinda the, cool. Yeah, with concept and media cut out of the the, the last two Ds. So yeah. yeah, it's a little interesting. Yeah. So it seems like maybe a common thread in your life is storytelling. How, tell us about just how you became a storyteller. Well it's actually uh kind of a funny story. Uh Last year was sort of an epiphany for myself because I had been doing so many different things artistically and trying to put a label on myself with multimedia artist, filmmaker, musician, different types of things. And really, it wasn't until last year that I finally kind of discovered that I am a storyteller and that's what I want to be moving forward. And that's basically all my work is rooted in telling stories. So that's... I have known at an early age that that's something that I've always loved doing. Even back in elementary school, I remember writing, you know, short stories and things like that. And my school librarian from yep. Westmount Elementary. I was say you grew up in Gilderland. Yep, yeah. I grew up in Gilderland. Yep, Westmount Elementary. Do you remember her name? Unfortunately, I don't, <laughs> no. and I feel really terrible because <laughs> no, she was always okay. so encouraging and helpful. And uh, I think she honestly was, you know, along with my mother, was one of the first people to really push me in a creative direction and kind of make me realize that my writing could be something. Someday, yeah. Well, 
I remember vividly the psychological thriller you and your brother made. Mm -hmm. And that was a way of telling a story that was very unusual. And it just, I also remember talking to you five years ago, you said you really liked kids. You would work maybe at the Bozenkill summer camp. Yep. And I I know comics these days are for more than just kids. But some of these, tell, tell our listeners, what I have before me are three different books, and they're really nicely produced. Uh, they have slick covers and pages. And the artwork is so different in each of them. Do you do the artwork too? No, I designed all the artwork, but I actually subcontracted out to different illustrators, some that I knew, some that I had met, you know, through various connections. So you're kind of a creative hub. You've got... Right, yeah, more of, more of on the producer, author end of it. Yeah. Yep. So um, if you could just, I'm going to hold these up. I wish we had visuals. <laughs> we have Tish and Squish. And tell us the basic story of these two tuxedo cats. Well, they're two tuxedo cats that look identical. Um, they live on the same street, but don't actually know each other. So Tish is an indoor cat that's very, you know, well-groomed and well-kept, and her owners are sort of tyrannical with how they, you know, keep her in the house and things like that. They're very, they're very uh, protective of her. Uh, Squish, on the other hand, is the total polar opposite. She's an outdoor ruffian-type cat, and all she wants to do is escape her house because she has a, a little girl that terrorizes her every day. So uh, this, the story basically is that Squish is outside one day, and Tish happens to get let out of the house because her owners accidentally leave the door open one day, and Squish devises a plan that she thinks she's going to be able to switch houses because the two cats look identical. And it really turns into a story of be careful what you wish for because things don't really turn out so well for Squish in the end. Well, what I love about the way this book is put together is... You can read it from front to back or back to front. The pages face upside down, depending on which way <laughs> you come at it. So each of the cats has their own story with the center page, um, both upside down and right side up, <laughs> yeah. because one cat is down on the ground and the other's up in a tree. So it's just very visually clever, as well as a, the storyline reminded me of The Prince and the Pauper. I okay. don't know if you had that in mind at all. No, I, it wasn't You know, these something... two boys that switch places because they look identical. Exactly. And yeah. then they're in each other's world and mm -hmm. trying to figure it out. Um, so when you... Who's your audience when you're thinking of these? Are you thinking of kids or are you thinking of grown-ups or who are you thinking of? Well, like you said, like I really enjoy working with kids and the goal was to basically be able to table at Comic-Cons and local art shows, which, you know, a large a large portion of the audience is children. So the first comic I actually wrote was just Tea and Cakes um, that's oh, sitting there, let's go um, to that, which is about... Uh, a sloth and a goat that are in a relationship with each other and are the only animals living in the big city. So it's kind of a fish out of water tale. So I had wrote that and there were some themes and uh, different things in the story that I thought may be a little out of the realm for children because I was maybe, you know, fo focusing more on younger children. So that caused me to write the story The Home, 
which is more of a suspense story. So when I started writing that, I was like, you know, this might also be a little bit too dark and suspenseful for young children. Well, that's what I'm trying to remember back to when my kids were that age. But at the same time, kids like to be pushed to the edge of things. And the thing with just tea and cakes, and just so people know, it is, of course, as you're listening, you're thinking tea and cakes, T-E-A, because Zach is full of all kinds of both <laughs> visual and verbal puns, but it's capital letter T and cakes. And I got the sense this is a gay couple. That's correct. Yeah, yep. okay. Yep. But what I liked about it is if you were a kid reading it, and I reread it several times to try to see it as a grown-up and to try to see it as a kid, because what comes through from a kid point of view, you don't really think about are they gay? <laughs> you know, yeah, because I it's a sloth yeah. and a goat. You think these are two creatures that love each other. Right. And the fact that they love each other and stick by each other, even though they're forced to do something that makes one of them a little uncomfortable and they forge ahead because they mm-hmm. love each other. The plot line, and again, the, the artwork, I don't know if you designated how the artist was to draw these. But for instance, the reason they're in a crisis in the city, and there's not a big thing made of the fact that they're animals and everybody else is a person. Right. But their landlord, their evil landlord, is going to be collecting rent money that they don't have. And like at the picture that I'm looking at right now, it's shot, I think of it as a photograph. <laughs> You're looking through the landlord's hairy legs with his bathrobe <laughs> hanging down, and you can see cakes and tea i guess i should always say tea and cakes through that i mm-hmm. mean did you orchestrate it to that level or did you let the artist kind of that was it was it was kind of a mutual thing that was working uh specifically with this artist was a friend of mine michael weiler who i graduated from rpi with um and we actually kind of did an artist trade so i the music from the cd that i had is actually for a video game that he was producing so I created the soundtrack for his game, and in trade, he did the illustrations for my comic book. And coming from a filmmaker background, a lot of the artwork and shots that I wanted kind of came from that standpoint where, you know, low angles type thing to really yeah. generate a feel for the viewer of the it imagery. Really, it really is riveting, just yeah. is artwork. And that's, yeah, my, my friend Michael did a fantastic job on the art. Oh, I love it. This is my favorite one for the art mm-hmm. uh, in it. But that is interesting to me because I probably have a misperception of RPI. I think of a lot of engineering types. The guy that designed our first website was from there. He was wonderful. Mm-hmm. I loved him. But here it sounds like this cauldron of creativity. Tell us tell us about your time at RPI and how you... Well, I... I <laughs> I don't mean to be mean, but I always make the joke that anytime I tell somebody I'm from RPI, they sort of ha- it has that stigma where they're like, oh, you're an architect, you're an engineer, you do something in science. And I say, no, I went to RPI for art. And I was like, you know, I'm not smart. I went, I went there for art. So, <laughs> you know, having said that, they do have a great art program there, and their teachers are wonderful. Um, Kathy High and Neo Bustamente, who I believe isn't uh, currently there anymore, were two very influential people for me, you know, working on the baby monitor specifically where we produced the film was at the school. Um, so, yeah, it was, it was very integral in, you know, the steps I've taken to get where I'm at today. And it sounds like you have a cadre of people from there that are still yep. 
in your orbit. Right. And that, that was one of my main um, goals while I was at the school was to sort of build a big network of different artists and things and, you know, kind of in my wheelhouse. And, and it, it paid dividends because, like I said, you know, I was able to do an artist trade with one of my friends and he was thrilled with everything that I gave him and I couldn't be happier with the artwork he provided me. Yeah, it's great. Uh, this is just off the track, but it made me think, because your brother Frank was at RPI also. Correct, yep. And the two of you worked on that baby monitor together. What What is Frank doing now? Uh, he's actually out, uh, he lives out in Chatham now, and he works for the Ellsworth Kelly Foundation, uh, and he works as a photo technician out there. So we're both still, you know, very connected and doing things in the media still. Neat. Mm-hmm. Well, I skipped over, you were leading up to the home and mm-hmm. how you came up with that, because I was so enthralled with this just tea and cakes. So tell us a little about the home and who did the illustrations for this one? Uh, the illustrations for that were from an online artist that I had met through a website called Fiverr, which is basically you meet artists, post their work, and you can hire, you know, it's paid for work, hire type thing. Um, but that too is an a new way of doing things. Absolutely, you seem yeah. to exist a lot through the internet and how you're connecting and yeah. doing things. And because I was trying to produce three comic books at the same time, I really needed to outsource and find multiple artists to be able to, you know, do the three projects all at once. Um, so it was an artist named Claire who actually never gave me her last name, <laughs> which strangely enough, I, I don't. Uh, she was from Thailand. Oh, my god! So she, you know, her artwork is amazing, but, you know, yeah. I don't know if she thought I was going to travel to Thailand and find her or something, but, <laughs> no, uh, Claire was her name, but, yeah, it's, uh, the story of the home is about a foster home that gets reopened in 1972, which was a former orphanage, which was closed down due to cult rituals that they found were happening on the premises. And why... Did you make up the storyline, or is there some basis in this? No, I no. made up the okay. storyline. And yeah. why 1972? Uh, I had done research, actually, and found that, um, because I wanted to use an orphanage, and I found that orphanages basically had gone out of existence, and uh, foster homes had basically replaced them as the typical homes for housing children without families. Um, so it was just, you know, doing typical Google research where I found a place a date. Yeah. And so, tell us what happens. This box of toys arrives. Well, the the story starts with the home being opened, and uh, the mayor is there with sort of an ominous director, uh, Dr. Blair Maller, who's In kind of... In hat-eye glasses. Yeah, she's kind of the antagonist of everything. So, the, the children all go into the home, and there's a mysterious box that's oh, waiting there for them without any of their knowledge. And there's all sorts of occult symbols all over the box, and when they open the box, there's all sorts of stuffed animals inside with a note that says, you know, there's each one is for the children so that they can feel safe in the home. So the kids are all excited. They each get their own stuffed animal and then they run off and each fight over the rooms that they want. And then later on in the evening, things happen where, you know, uh, the stuffed animals come to life, and I don't want to give too much of the no, story away. No, don't give too much yeah. away, but you do have some typical kid things, like the fighting over rooms, and yep. the way that's portrayed is really neat. There's like an overview, there it is, a double-page overview, where the center of the cat one was the upside-down cats in both directions, the centerpiece, and this is, uh, it looks like you're looking into a kid's dollhouse. You're kind of like an aerial view down on the beds, and they're doing typical kid's 
you know, get out, I call this room. Yeah, I'll say what that. What did you pick? That's the closest I'll probably come to uh, RPI architecture drawings is uh, <laughs> my top-down view. Uh, but um, we will not give away the ending, but I did notice when I went to your website that the, the one of the main characters, a little shy boy who adopts a kind of worn-out teddy bear, he names Chunks, um, that you sell an actual stuffed Chunks. Won't sell him. I may no. sell him in the future, but okay. right now um, I, I sewed him together and um, I'm using him as my sort of official Twitter mascot. Oh, so wow. if you ever visit our Twitter page, you can see basically anything we do gets updated with his photo as, as basically me in the in the shot. Well, did you physically sew chunks yourself? So he was built off of a gunned bear, which is a, a teddy bear company. Okay. Um, so it's just a basic, a basic bear, and then I bought you know different patches and things like that, and then hand stitched it myself. Well, what made you choose that as the symbol, not just for this book, but really for your company? Uh, I think just the the childhood aspect of it the you know the innocence of it um also the fact that you know he's chunked together with so many different things which is sort of you know my background which is so many different art forms and mediums coming together into into one you know idea yeah well also too it's like a comforting symbol everybody yeah. in in childhood did you have a favorite stuffed animal uh, I probably did. It was probably a dinosaur, to tell you the truth, but I can't I had remember. a leopard I called Yippy. I don't know why. But, I mean, I think almost every adult and child can relate to the idea of this, like, persona. You, you, It's similar to your work, I think, because, and maybe I'm overthinking this, but it's like, as a child, you invest into this animal a personality that really it doesn't have. Mm-hmm. It comes from your imagination, but... It becomes your friend. Mm-hmm. And I feel like you do that a lot. You invest ideas into things that otherwise would be inanimate. Right. Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, no, absolutely. So that's how chunk worked. Yep. Chunks works for me. And um, now, and we're rapidly running through our half hour, but I just need to hear about how this irritable vowels Dis. The album. Yeah, how this came about. And I've never heard anything like this. Well, and that's that's good. That was what I was hoping for, was something I mean, completely part different Part of sounding. it reminded me of Jabberwocky, you mm-hmm. know, Lewis Carroll with the made-up words. Yep. But sometimes it sounded like rap music, the way the rhythm was. Sometimes it sounded like almost classical music. Mm-hmm. Sometimes, I mean, it. it <laughs> there was no single word that you could interpret as language but yet it became language Mm -hmm. and i mean there are these different chapters about this little idea whose owner has died and so this little idea becomes a persona that goes out in the world just tell us about how you came up with that well, I'll first start with just the creation of the album itself. Okay. I had kind of touched on it before where um, it was sort of an artist trade where my friend who did the artwork for Just Tea and Cakes was creating. He's also a video game designer. So when I had contacted him about doing the illustrations, he said, well, I need soundtrack. And he, he knew that I had done music. So he said, well, I need a soundtrack done for my video game. And I said, well, that's great. We can do a trade. And he was like, okay. So... 
He originally. So can I just interrupt you? What is his video game? What's his the video gist game. Of that? He's sort of a zany character himself. He goes <laughs> by the artist name Marbach, and his video game is called Burrito Bear, and it's a desktop video game. And he hasn't told me too much about it, but from what I gathered, you're basically a bear that travels around, and the goal is to eat burritos in order to create farts, which are your, <laughs> wep- your weaponry to then battle the you know different adversaries that you're dealing with on the different but levels. So it isn't it's one of these evil games no, that kids are going to... It's like they're going to have fun as they're farting yeah, on their friends. It's oh, very comical. He sent me a few still shots from the video game as he's developing it, and it, it looks like a really good time. Um, so... Like I said, he commissioned me originally to do four songs for his soundtrack, and I did. Th- I produced the four songs for him. How? Tell me how. So I actually just recorded in my own bedroom with, you know, sort of a microphone that we have that we're using right now, um, and I used a producer through the website Fiverr that I found um, and sent him my vocal tracks with my instrumentals. He assembled them together and then sent them back to me mastered. Is how I did that. That's just amazing to yeah, me. It's the internet. all from your bedroom. Yeah, the internet is amazing <laughs> now really with the, is. The, the, the capabilities. But you tell have. me about the words or the non-words. Well, okay. that's uh, that's sort of what I was getting to. Okay. Was uh, my my friend who asked me for the songs? I asked him. I was like, "Well, do you want the music to be about the game, about you know random things?" And he was like, "I want made up words." And I was like. Do you mean like gibberish? Do you, you know? Could you clarify? And he was like, "No." He's like, "I want the songs to have no legible words." He's like, "You have to make up your yeah, own language." I, I mean, some of them, a lot of linsasalic. <laughs> yeah, so it's it's crazy. So uh, I went from thinking that I kind of made out with the the artist trade to then sitting there like, "Well, I need to now create a language." So. Things got a little difficult for me. But how? How did you do that? I just sat down with the instrumentals that I had and um, just kept writing and writing and writing. I have a background writing hip-hop music um, previously, so I kind of just pulled from that, which, like, I think you had heard, like, you kind of heard some rap tone Yeah, I did, definitely. It. But, well, like, I'm still not, like... When Lewis Carroll did Jabberwocky, you know, there are whole volumes written about <laughs> how, you know, how he came up with these nonsense words. Like, where did, the, where did you reach for them? I just... It's, it's honestly hard to say. Like, I just kind of pulled words out of, th- out of air and basically was sounding out noises with my mouth and trying to figure out maybe did you like write things down yeah and there were many many revisions and rewrites with it because that i honestly found that to be the most difficult thing because even if i wrote something and in my head it might have sounded like it rhymed or was rhythmic when i tried to say it back i had no idea what the words were so it was impossible for me to repeat Sort of the rhyme that I created in my head. So it would just be constant rewrites on how to basically, you know, phonetically write the word so I could re re say it. And it had to fit the rhythm of the music because the music had come first. Right. So you were just constantly reworking it? Yeah, reworking it and tuning it and getting it to fit to the beat and everything like that. Yep. Well, it works. I'm I'm so happy you said that. I mean, I played it in my kitchen as I was cooking and I was, I shouldn't say this because Elizabeth is right here, but I was making a birthday cake for Elizabeth. <laughs> and I mean, I was beating to this one rhythm and then it would switch on me. and I'd be like, it really, because it didn't have words, mm-hmm. it made you concentrate on 
like the ups and downs of the rhythm more than you might have because you weren't thinking of the words. Right. It was a very unusual experience. Yeah. So so that's really what happened was I did the four songs and I enjoyed doing them so much and I actually thought that they were, you know, fairly creative that I took it off and started making my own side project album along with the three comics that I was producing at the same time. And as a benefit to my friend, I told him that I would just send him all the bonus songs that I was creating. And he, you know, he couldn't be happier. He was like, okay, I get extra songs out of the deal. That works for me. Well, tell me about the story itself, this little idea that has no owner. Yeah. So Originally, I had the 12 uh, completed songs on the disc, and there's actually five free songs that if you visit my website, you can download for free. Um, so I had the 12 songs, and I just it just felt like it needed to get broken up in some way. Like it, it was just too much to have the 12 play one after another. Um, so going back to my sort of my filmmaking roots uh big influence of mine is quentin tarantino who is notorious for using chapters to break up his films so i sort of did that with this album where i wrote a short story which was based on another short story which was in the public domain um about uh um sort of like a bedtime story uh so i took that and adapted it to basically the concept of what happens to our ideas after we die and like you said, it's basically this idea has its own persona, its own life, and has the ability to kind of travel through the world and, and experience things on its own. So it's just kind of an abstract idea that I was Oh, I love with. it. I yeah. mean, every week when we do the newspaper, it goes out in the world, our words and ideas, and we never know what happens to them. And sometimes they come back to us in a very different form. Right, you know? yeah. Someone will call up and say, but this one, I think it's chapter four, the idea happened upon a lonesome little girl. Won't you give me your desire, she asks. He placed his desire in the girl's heart, and now the idea had nothing left in all the world. And then there's this music like falling water, mm -hmm. and you get this idea, I keep using the word idea, sorry, but you get this concept mm -hmm. <laughs> that this idea has almost kind of been lonely traveling around, and now it has a place where it's like, taken root in somebody's heart and is going to have its own life as part of somebody else and that happens to our real ideas too absolutely and yep. i just and then the ending i mean i'm reading the ending too the idea looked at the stars to say goodbye he saw the stars were dreams with reality woven out of delusion and desire Mm -hmm. So you're kind of a poet and a philosopher. You're not just like a comic book writer. Yeah, the, <laughs> I mean, I'd, I'd say I wear many hats. <laughs> but like, where do you get where do you get an idea like that? Uh, it's it just comes to me. I, I really don't know. It's just you know I write nonstop in journals and things like that, and things flow out, and it just comes. Wow. <laughs> I mean, I does, it, it. does it come like you keep a notebook by your bed at night or do you just like... Uh, different things. So I keep, uh, you know, a running text document on my computer. I have small little notebooks all around my house where, you know, especially right by my bed where if I wake up in the middle of the night and I have an idea, I always jot it down kind of thing. So yeah, I'm always writing my ideas down because you never know uh, how I might change it down the road like uh for example the home was actually an idea that i had come up with 
called the Teddy Bear Force, and it was slightly tweaked. It was, you know, much different, and then I, you know, rewrote it, and it became the home that it is now. So, so what happens from here in your career? I mean, do you envision what's going to happen next? Or? So, so still the end goal for me is to do a feature film. Um, I think I had mentioned that five years ago. Yes, you and, did. Yeah, um, and it's been a slow process getting there. Um, so this was kind of a step along the path for me to try to do something large-scale production-wise to see if I could kind of handle the stress of you know dealing with multiple projects and things like that and deadlines. Um, and also to sort of test my writing skills again in terms of script writing and things like that. And the other thing was to basically create a platform for myself to then be able to show at Comic-Cons and art shows and things like that to then promote future projects and things like that I have coming down the road. So the goal I have now is I actually have two uh, feature-length scripts that are, I'd say, 75% done. They're completely written, but they need to be, they need to be rewritten and, and gone through. Can you tell us what they're about? Um, I can tell you a little bit. I don't want to spoil too much. Right. Uh, the first one is called Ada, which is uh, sort of a futuristic dystopian uh, set story. And it's about, you know, government control and how the government is basically creating clones of different people. And it's kind of a story about how uh, the government creates an artificial intelligent robot that breaks free and discovers this little girl and the two of them form a relationship and then help each other and then basically have to escape the, you know, the the clutches of the evil government. I, without going too, okay, too far into but detail. But I love this concept. I, I used to be, this is back, it'll show my age, a big Ray Bradbury fan. Oh, I love, yeah. You do? Yeah, absolutely. You could, it made you think about your current world mm-hmm. because of the sci-fi aspects that introduced these thoughts you wouldn't have had in another setting. So what what is the other film about? The other one is, and most of my ideas are sort of sci-fi and horror suspense set, um, which was The Baby Monitor was sort of a horror suspense film. So this next one is me... Uh, but that wasn't just like horror. That was like psychological. Yes, yes. Uh, you know, and that's uh, my brother like and I Alfred love Hitchcock that sort of thing. Kind yeah, of to do thing. like plot twists and to, you know to yeah. really play with the audience emotion like that. Not just the cheap pop out scare type things, mm-hmm. but to really make you think. Um, so our my other idea that I have is uh, I don't want to give the title away because that's the the movie that I'll be pursuing next. Um, I'm trying to basically create a new cult classic slasher film because I think it's it's been a little while since we've had a new kind of Halloween character to scare people. Uh, so that's the goal is I'm going to try to create... I, I, it sounds ridiculous to me to say that you're going to try to create a cult classic, but no, that's... I hear you. I remember now you said growing up, your mom and your brother and you used to watch horror films. Yeah, all like the time. A, what yeah. is it about horror that attracts you? These kinds of films. Well, honestly, me, I'm not so much into the horror as much as I am like just the suspense and the you know the the psychology behind certain characters and things like that. So that's kind of what interests me about it. Um, but yeah, it's just, I think in terms of independent filmmaking, I think also it's, it's much easier to, to produce a horror film than it is, you know, a sci-fi film, which would, 
you know, require most likely a lot of computer graphic animation. Oh, I see. And just in like terms that. of the production, right? So of just it. budget costs and things like that. It's it's for me, it's much easier to produce that sort of an idea. And they just honestly, they just flow easier and naturally for me, which is sort of odd because you know I don't think of myself as a dark person. No, you certainly don't works. see that. And at the same time, you can write these really loving, like this Justine Cakes, mm-hmm. you know, because that the baby monitor it turned on love you know it turned on like a mother's love for a child and you said i think that you and your brother thought of the idea because you were caring for your grandmother and she had a monitor just like a baby has a monitor Mm -hmm. and you got you know hearing these crackling noises (laughs) thinking oh you know but so it seems so odd for a person that's like got this caring core to like these horror shocker sorts of things yeah so it's always interesting showing my work to people who know me because they're like they kind of you know look at me with a a shifty eye where they're like (laughs) i didn't really expect that from you okay well zach this has been just wonderful do you have any closing thoughts for us anything you'd like to leave our listeners with uh no uh i'll just wanted to mention that I will be showing at the Saratoga Comic Con and the Albany Comic and Toy Show that are coming up. So I'd love to get a chance to meet anyone that would love to come out to our table. So And people can go to your website, right? That, and find, as you go to yeah. other shows, that'll be posted on there. Yeah, we'll so why don't updates. you tell us your website address? Yeah, our website is www.oddconceptmedia.wordpress.com. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you so much, Melissa.